Hi, thanks for joining me and welcome to another edition of Kingdom 101. In case you are not familiar, Kingdom 101 is an initiative of Archippus Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints that we may know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. Well, we believe that if you want to know what kingdom assignments are, you've got to know the kingdom first. And that is what Kingdom 101 is all about. Our objectives are very simple, threefold. Number one, that we know our king all over again, and he's Jesus. Number two, that we will embrace kingdom perspectives, that we will rediscover what the kingdom of God is all about. And number three, as we align with the king, as well as his kingdom, we will receive our kingdom assignments. Well, for this moment, you know that we're not able to meet physically, um, and that's why we're doing a pre-recorded teaching. So if you're watching with us right now, or if you're watching the recorded version a little bit later, we pray that this will be a blessing for you. And so um, let's pray together, and we will get into today's teaching. Heavenly Father, thank you once again, Lord, for this opportunity to declare the word of the kingdom. Be with me and everyone watching or listening in that we will receive what your Spirit wants to tell us, especially in these times. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this teaching is entitled, Wash Your Hands. And if you think this teaching is about how you can keep clean and stay hygienic and stay safe during this COVID-19 period, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Um, this is not really about COVID-19, even if we are in that situation right now. This title was inspired uh, from the passage that we will be going through this time in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 9. Now, let me give you a quick overview of what this passage is about. Uh, once again, Jesus meets with the Pharisees, or rather the Pharisees come um, to look at Jesus and to check him out. There's again another confrontation, and the Pharisees are upset because uh, Jesus and his disciples, they were not washing their hands. Well, let's see what the story is all about and how Jesus addresses this situation. Now, I won't read the verse or the passage. I hope that you will go back and take a look by yourself so that uh, we will save that time and really spend more time unpacking the entire passage. And so let's start with the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus. Let's set the scene. Well, this is not the first confrontation that Jesus had with these guys. In fact, we will see increasing opposition from this time forth, from Matthew chapter 15, all the way through to the end. But I want you to take note of this phrase, from Jerusalem. Now, these are not your local police posts uh, coming to check on Jesus. These are from headquarters. And man, if Jesus has already garnered this kind of an attention, you can see how serious this is. Well, these are your religious elites, your spiritual bigwigs, and a term that we keep hearing these days. They are your experts. Well, they, are, they had one mission, one objective. They were here to check Jesus out and they were also trying to catch Jesus out. And so they meet with Jesus, and they come to Jesus, and they levy a charge against uh, him. Now, what is this charge? This was really about the transgressing of the tradition of the elders. They say to him, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? 
for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Let's unpack the tradition of the elders for a moment. You see, this really started all the way back to the days of Ezra and also Nehemiah. Now, we know that Israel, because they broke the law, it resulted in them being sent out of the land 70 years in exile. Now, after 70 years, post-exilic days, when they came back, they recovered the law once more and they said, look, we're not going to commit the same mistake anymore. And so Ezra, together with Nehemiah and their team of teachers, scribes, um, lawyers, experts of the law, they began to read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave sense and they helped the people to understand the reading. Now, they meant really well. They want to keep the word of God and they wanted to help the people understand it so that there will never be another chance of them breaking the law anymore. Now, these interpretations and applications were good and they came to be known as the teaching of the elders. And these were passed down through the generations and we call them the oral teachings. They became the tradition of the elders. Tradition just means something that's delivered or passed on or passed down. Now, remember the intention again. They don't want to break the law. So what they did was they tried to uh, give application and understanding to ring fence the law so that there's as little chance as possible to get to the breaking of these laws. Well, these oral traditions or teachings later had to be read and regarded alongside the law of God. In fact, they came to be as authoritative as God's law. Now, the sad thing is that after a while, they began to be held even higher than God's law. Now, by the time it came to AD 200, they compiled these teachings, these oral traditions, and they recorded it into this document called the Mishnah. Well, that's a tradition of the elders. But really, what's the issue at hand? They asked Jesus, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? In other words, why are you not following what we are teaching you? And this was their issue. They do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, let's be clear about this. It's not about hygiene per se. Now, let's be careful. It's a good practice to wash your hands before meals. It's healthy. It is especially important in these times of COVID-19. So guys, Wash your hands, uh, make sure they are clean. After you touch all your surfaces, lift buttons and all that, make sure you wash your hands. But you see, the issue here wasn't about hygiene. It was about a ceremonial ritual of washing hands. And this was required of every Jew. Who said so? Well, the elders, the tradition, remember? They said that you have to wash your hands in a special way. Right? It's like us telling you right now, uh, when you wash your hands, make sure it's 20 seconds, say a prayer, sing a song. And if the Pharisees found out that you only wash 18 seconds, oh, that's a no-no. You would have broken the law, so to speak. Well, they had to wash it in a certain way. And they not only washed their hands, they also washed their vessels and to make sure everything was clean. Now, what was this about? It was an extension from the dietary laws. Kosher, unkosher, clean and unclean food. 
Well, they don't want to break these laws, remember? So they want to keep the clean food, the kosher food, clean, as clean as possible. And so in their minds, they said, well, look, then you've got to wash your hands so that the kosher will stay kosher. Now, was this really required of the law of Moses? Well, it's extra biblical. It's not in the scripture. But we understand from commentators that the influence might have been a foreign influence where Jews returning to the land might have seen uh, Greek documents, pictures of them pouring out from vessels, washing their hands and having pure hands and clean hands. And they may have said, hey, I think this is a good practice. Why don't we do this? So you see, this was a tradition that was passed on and they required it of everyone. Well, they were upset with the disciples, but really they were upset with Jesus because Jesus himself did not keep this tradition. As we can see from Luke chapter 11, verses 37 and 38, Jesus met with a Pharisee who asked him to have a meal. Jesus sat down and he went on straight to eat it. And when the Pharisee saw this, he was like, whoa, hang on here. You did not wash your hands. So the Pharisees, they would pick at the disciples. Why? Simply this. Your disciples didn't do it. In other words, Jesus, you're not a really good teacher. I know you got good miracles. I know people are following you. I know you give great revelation. But you see, if you don't keep the law, now, to them, keeping the tradition was as good as keeping the law. Now, if you don't keep these traditions as we have taught them and understood them for so many years, how can you then claim to be the Son of God? How can you break God's law and still claim to be the Messiah? And so they went to Jesus and they don't confront him directly to say, you have a problem. He says, look, your disciples are not following the tradition. Now, here's a side note for you to ponder. You see, we are disciples of Jesus Christ, are we not? How we behave would reflect upon the king that we serve or the master that we claim that we believe in and pledge allegiance to. Now, in the same way, church members, let me say this. You may say, I belong to church A, B, C, or this congregation or that ministry. Do you know that if you don't behave rightly or however you behave, Everyone will look at you and say, Ayo, you mean your pastor like that one? Huh? Oh, oh dear, is this what your elders and your leaders are teaching you? Oh, you mean this church stands for this? Well, if you extend it to our keepers awakening, and that's what I've always been challenging the people who listen to our teaching and we agree about our being on assignment and that we don't want to get caught with things that are unimportant and we want to live the things of the kingdom. Well and good to say that. But how you live and how you live that out and, and apply that, big, big issue, right? Now, if, if we don't understand the message of Archippus awakening properly, then I suppose someone can look at Hanson and say, hey, you know, look at all your Archippuses, so to speak. Not very impressive, huh? What are you really teaching them? And so the, the, the Pharisees were upset with Jesus, but they took it out on the disciples almost like indirectly. Well, Jesus knew that, and it's a typical rabbi versus rabbi thing. So he looks at them, and he does a counter charge. And he does this in a rabbinic or with a rabbinic technique. 
He looks at the Pharisees and answers them head on. He does not answer the question directly, but he answers the question with another question. Now, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Don't you love how Jesus goes straight to the point? They were saying, how can you break the tradition and break God's law? Jesus is saying, how can you break God's law even when you are keeping to your tradition? Now he explains. He doesn't just stop there and they're like going, huh, what are you talking about? He's now asking them to compare between tradition and the Torah, which is the law of God. And he says, for God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother. He goes on, he says, look, if you are going to be talking about Torah and then bringing in your tradition, let's consider an example. God says, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Jesus was really very, very sharp. He says, you want to talk about this? Let's talk about, let me give you a case study. Let's look at a Korban case study. Now, this gift to God or giving to God or giving to the temple is referred to as Korban, C-O-R-B-A-N. But he appeals to the commandment first, that in the fifth commandment, God says, honor your parents. You can find this in Exodus 20, verse 12. Or Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Now, if you don't honor, it comes with a penalty. That's in Exodus and also in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9. But you're saying this is a gift to God. Now, let's explain that. What's a korban? You see, they had a tradition to say, if you pledge something to the temple, well, temple equals God, God equals temple. That's in their understanding. So if you pledge something to God, give it to the temple, now, this pledge, whether it's money or whether it's a material resource, now, this cannot be touched. You, you cannot touch this. Well, you can use it for yourself, but you cannot give it for, to, to anyone else. But upon death, this will be given to the temple or given to God. And so someone who does not want to give to anyone else and wants to protect it for himself only, now, you can pledge all these things to the temple and think that you are giving to God. Who cares about parents? Who cares about other people in need? And so in keeping a tradition of giving to God, now it sounds really good, but while you are alive, you can still use it. So you're giving to God, but you're still protecting yourself in a little way. In keeping this tradition, they inadvertently, perhaps unconsciously, they say, if you give to God, then it's okay, that's good. You now don't have to honor your parents. Now, they don't say it in those words, but Jesus highlights this whole issue to say, can you see, you are managing and looking for a loophole in the law or in the tradition not to give to others. And if you understand the law of God that reveals the heart of God, you have missed entirely the law of God. Now, on this topic about giving, you know, we have a perhaps a contemporary korban that we can consider. And we call it the tithe, or a pledge, or an offering, whichever way you call it. 
Now, we've been teaching in various circles that the tithe is extremely important. And, well, it's not wrong. Tithing is good. It's for our good. But they're saying that if you don't tithe, then you will lose the blessing and you will be cursed. In other words, I now give because I don't want to be cursed. I only give because I want to protect my blessing. And along the way, we have seen cases where people have neglected their own households, their own families, just for the sake that they can keep this tithe or manage a pledge and not give to someone else. In fact, some people have gone into debt. They have borrowed so that they can give tithe. Now, I'll leave you to consider this. Is that the heart and the spirit of what God requires of the tithe? Let me share a true story with you. This was some years ago, and someone called me, and she was in a little bit of a dilemma. You see, she had been taught this tithe, and she was faithful, praise God for that. But she had an issue at hand. Her brother was not well, and they needed to, or he needed medical expenses. And this dear sister asked me, and she said, Look, I've already tithed. Isn't that enough? You mean I must still give to my brother? And this is a blood brother. I'm not even talking of a brother in Christ. And this family, as I understand it, is not, they are not um, uh, in poverty or they're not living hand to mouth. They can afford quite a little bit more. But you see, the issue of the tithe, the letter of the law that we keep to, or perhaps a tradition of tithe, prevented her from wanting to do what is needful to help her brother. And I said, okay, look, even if you don't want to take it out of your tithe, that you have tithe, why don't you give a free will offering? It can be over and above the tithe. And the answer, sadly, was, but I've already tithed. You mean I must give more? So can you see, sometimes we can get caught even with a contemporary korban or a tradition that keeps us from fulfilling the heart of God's law, of what He really, really wants. Tradition can lock us in or some of these patterns of the church, perhaps. Now, since we're on the issue of money and, you know, korban is also giving material resources to the temple. Perhaps if you are a Pharisee or a leader in those days, you might be saying, look, we need to upkeep the temple, right? We have to keep the things running and the maintenance of things going. And today I can understand the same equivalent. We have to pay salaries, we have to pay rent, we have to pay all these things. But I, I like to challenge you. Are we just keeping a physical temple running? Or are we the temple of God today? that instead of maintaining a structure or a form, as, as helpful as, as these may be, perhaps we should be helping the real temple of God. And we, the people, are the temple of God today. And if I, would you, would you be agreeing with me that if for one moment I, I take this funds and I give to someone in great need, have I broken any law? Have I been cursed because I did not tithe? I leave you to ponder that for a moment. But let's come back to our teaching. So the Pharisees and the leaders held to the tradition of the elders. And Jesus was really telling them, because you hold the tradition over the Torah, then you have rendered, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Now, the word 
That phrase of no effect is translated from a Greek word that means to nullify, to cancel, to annul, to invalidate. Now, if you want to make it sound, not make it sound, if you want to understand the true meaning of that word, Paul uses it in the New Testament to indicate the breaking of a covenant. So you can keep your tradition and you can break a covenant with God. That's how serious it was. If you're just keeping a tradition and not understanding the spirit of the law and what God is really after, you deceive yourself. You think you're good. You think you're living for God. You think you're serving Him. In fact, it looks really nice, but it might only be a form of godliness, but have no power. We could be play-acting and, and not even realize it. Now, the word, the word, now, the Bible has a word that describes an actor who performs, and that word is a hypocrite. And that was what Jesus said to the Pharisees. And he makes this point so clear. He says, you are play-acting with your tradition. You are hypocrites. And in, in keeping with the rabbinic technique, he applies scripture. He appeals to scripture as a higher authority. And he brings out a verse or a passage from Isaiah. And he says, don't you know Isaiah was prophesying? He was speaking about you when he said, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Again, using a rabbinic device, he was linking words as he appealed to Scripture. And that word is honor. You say you're honoring God with your traditions? Well, God says, if you honor me, you will honor your parents. But by keeping to a tradition, you have dishonored your parents, and in that, you dishonor me. Now, you sing songs, you talk nicely, and it seems as if you honor me with your lips. But in effect, you are dishonoring me. If you are really aligned with God, then you will be aligned with His heart. And out of that would flow His commandments because the law reveals the heart of God. Jesus never minces His words. He says, Pharisees, guys, you know Isaiah was prophesying. And can I tell you, that was a personal prophetic word. How, how, how would you like to receive a personal prophecy like that? He was using also the same principle when he quoted Hosea chapter 6. And when he said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Well, he used it twice already in Matthew. Same thing. The Pharisees were picking at the disciples and at him for not uh, keeping the law. And Jesus says, I didn't ask you to break the law. I asked you to keep it, but understand the heartbeat of what the law is. I desire mercy. I want you to love the people. I don't want you to burden them. It's not about your rituals and your outward forms of worship. It's about knowing the heart of God. Align with Him correctly and everything will be all right. There's no point keeping a tradition and yet have no relationship with God at all. 
it looks really impressive. But I'm telling you, God is not impressed at all. And that's why Isaiah then said, as he prophesied, their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. And so here's the key. You want to wash your hands? Sure, go ahead, wash your hands. I mean, nothing wrong with washing your hands. But don't just wash your hands. Watch your heart. Wash your hands, but watch your heart. If you only wash your hands and your heart is not there, then that's an issue, right? The issue at hand is the issue of the heart. And we will, we will get into this teaching a lot more in the next teaching, and I hope you will join me then also. But let me bring this teaching to a, to a practical close, and I want to leave you some points that you can look at and you can see, um, and I hope that this will help us process a little bit more about tradition. Firstly, tradition does not save. Jesus is the only one who saves. Paul himself warned the people, both the Jew as well as the Gentile. He said, look, if you're not talking about tradition, you can't beat me. I was exceedingly zealous, even above all my contemporaries with this. Peter tells the people, come on, you were saved, you were redeemed, not with corruptible things, but with an incorruptible seed. That's Jesus and his word. You are not saved by tradition. Paul then goes on and he says, be careful, okay, let no one cheat you through all these empty things according to the tradition of men. Only Jesus saves, not our tradition. That's the first point. The second point is this. Now, it seems as if tradition is all wrong and all bad. All bad. Not all tradition is wrong or bad. Let me give you some passages here for you to reflect. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2, I praise you that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions. You see, so traditions do help us. They don't save, but they do help us and they do guide us. And you just need to know what the traditions mean. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Right? Because Paul cannot go everywhere and all over the place, and he needs to pass certain teachings on, and some traditions help us understand that. He goes on and he says, if there are people who don't walk according to the tradition, then will you disassociate with them, withdraw from them? So not all tradition is wrong or bad. Now the key is to remember as long as the tradition points to God's word and guides us and helps us to better understand and apply the heartbeat of God, they are good. But when it gets a little bit higher or is placed higher than God's word, you've got to question the validity of that tradition. Which brings us to the third point. Don't elevate tradition over scripture. Time and again, traditions are good, but it must be subjected and submitted to Scripture. You've got to measure tradition 
and um, evaluated against Scripture, not elevated above Scripture. Know the Scripture or know the scriptural basis behind that tradition. Is it really about the heart of God? Or is it just something that looks nice and makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves? Be careful. Keeping tradition does not necessarily mean obedience to the Word. Now, as we have already understood from this lesson, you can be keeping to certain practices and yet cancel the Word of God. Now, let's not fall prey to such a deception. Yeah? And over the years, it's easy to do the church thing, keep a certain tradition, and think, I am good. You see, I am so obedient. Friends, you can keep a tradition to the T and still disobey what God is telling you to do. You may think to keep the tradition is your assignment, but God might just want you to understand the tradition that you may be pointed to your assignment. So don't miss the heart of the matter. Under this point, beware of going with the flow of self-deception and spiritual pride. You see, traditions are helpful because when you come into a community, um, there are norms, there are traditions that we follow, there's some culture and there's an environment and it helps give you a sense of belonging and it's helpful. But after a while, if you're just going with the flow and, and you're not growing in the things of the word, then that tradition has kept you back. And again, appealing to scripture, if we hear the word and yet not obey, then we deceive ourselves however well we are keeping tradition. In fact, be careful, spiritual pride can come in. Just like the Pharisees, they were like, oh, look at us, we keep tradition, we wash hands. Not 20 seconds, 21 seconds. Not 21, one minute we wash, we wash squeaky clean. That's not the point. Spiritual pride will come in and you think that you are much better than your brothers and your sisters. And finally, let's consider some present-day traditions. And I'm just highlighting some of these points so that we can be aware and consider this in our kingdom journey. For example, the institutionalized church could well be a tradition in itself, right? There are centuries-old traditions in the church. For example, formal membership, right? We need to be a member of certain churches. Now, please, again, don't get me wrong. Belong to a local congregation. But sometimes that certificate of membership gives us all kinds of crazy ideas of what that tradition or that norm could entail or even allow us certain benefits. How about the branding of a church, right? Sometimes we like to go to church ABC because of a certain brand. Or perhaps a tradition of nowadays the pastor has to be more charismatic, the teachings, the website has got to look good. The institutionalized church has certain traditions that we have to be careful of. For example, also, how about house church movements these days? Does it mean it's bad? Is that the way to go? I mean, look at COVID-19 right now. 
everyone is circuit breaker, lockdown, shutdown. We are having church at home, but it's not really house church yet. So what does it mean? Does it mean that it's wrong, it's bad? But in, in keeping it at home, does it mean that the, that the institutional church is bad or the big churches, corporate church is bad? No, you just have to examine what is tradition and what does the Word of God say. The next is denominational distinctives. Well, I, I'm proud if you are proud of your denomination. Praise God for that. Thank God for all uh, the great men and women who have started these denominations. Now, whether they intended it for it to draw so many lines within the body of Christ or not, who knows? But hey, it has served us in a certain way. But don't let these denominational distinctives or traditions hold us back from a bigger kingdom picture. I remember teaching once about uh, the kingdom of God and what it means to be a Christian. Later on, this brother came up and he, was, uh, he gave me this feedback. He said this one line to me. He said, you know something? I know what you're saying, but I'm first and foremost a Methodist before I'm a Christian. Now, that took me a little bit by surprise. I'm like, oh, okay. And I, I, at that point, I was much younger in the ministry. I didn't know how to respond. Okay. Now, I'm not knocking Methodists. I came from a Methodist tradition, love John Wesley and all the Methodists, but... I hope you understand what I'm saying, right? You can replace any denomination and it should make us think. Uh, Minister of God, uh, in his introduction, candidly, jokingly said this, uh, my son's an Anglican, my other son is a Methodist, my daughter is a Presbyterian. Hmm, it seems that in the family, I'm the only Christian. Well, we can laugh about this, right? But you see, denominational distinctives can also hold us back from what the kingdom of God is all about. Again, sometimes we now pit traditional churches and contemporary churches. We think the word tradition means old and boring. Well, can I say something here? The traditional churches were contemporary in their time. And contemporary churches, be careful, you can become traditional if you are not aware that the traditions are going to hold you back. Sometimes we think that Pentecostal churches are freer and traditional churches are a little bit more uh, tied down to certain patterns. Friends, you can be Pentecostal and charismatic. I've been to enough churches like that. Not very free, actually. You know, They still have a certain order and they keep to also their traditional patterns. So let's be careful before we throw this uh, traditional uh, label all over the place. Let me move on a little bit quicker from this point. Liturgy or the order of worship. As I've mentioned, different denominations have different styles. Uh, do they help us? Yeah. Should they lock us in? No. <laughs> but you see, we are comfortable with these uh, type of sequences. And sometimes they hold us back from experiencing a greater move of what God wants to do. Music styles and preferences. I won't even want to talk too much about this. You understand, right? Hymns, choruses, contem contemporary, uh, repeat the chorus 3,000 times means more God's presence. Uh, sing a hymn too high, cannot reach, so nobody can uh, get there. I don't know. Okay, so these are traditions. Organs, guitar, drums, you, you figure that out, okay? Service times or days, traditional 
everyone wants to go on a Sunday morning and you see Sunday morning services are that. But thankfully now, people are more open and we uh, are able to attend uh, services all over the place. Dress code might be a different tradition, right? You've heard of this phrase, we have to wear our Sunday best. I know the heart of what they are trying to say, but today really, for some people who just can't afford it, even their Sunday best will not look a Sunday best to you. And James says, you be careful, okay? Don't look at someone who doesn't dress as well as you and you start to judge them. You see, sometimes, again, the traditional lenses and the patterns of the culture and these things can evoke spiritual pride within us without us even knowing. Role of the pastor these days or full-time minister what are our traditional expectations? Now, whether you are a, a, a mainline denominational church or a Pentecostal independent charismatic type church, your view of a traditional pastor may be very, very different. Are we looking at uh, qualifications? What does it mean to be a pastor these days? Tradition again. And finally, uh, traditional understanding of ministries and programs. Must it only be done in the church? Right, And we can do so many of these things and still miss a kingdom assignment. And we think, oh dear, you know, we just have to do it within the confines of a church. And what if God calls you out somewhere? And you may be okay, but some of the people within the church might not feel very comfortable about that. So friends, you see, traditions are not in itself bad. But they can be unhealthy if we don't have a correct perspective. And let me leave you then with these two words. Kingdom essentials. Kingdom essentials. The word essential would be a very familiar word to you right now as, is, as in the phrase, wash your hands. Especially in this time of COVID-19, a lot of non-essentials have had to be stopped. And even for churches, we've had to cut down so many things and to wrestle with this thought. What truly is essential? What is really essential? And by now, I think you understand, I'm not talking about washing your hands, hand sanitizers, or wearing the mask. That's not the point. Safe distancing, yep, do that right now in COVID-19. But if you talk about distancing, we as a church, we're well and truly set apart. Couldn't resist that. Hope you enjoy that one. But you see, there's so many traditions that have been disrupted and suspended. Now, we're looking forward to get back to some of these normal seas. But what is the new normal? I think it's a great time to think of what kingdom essentials are. It's a great time to recover what is truly essential to the things of the kingdom, to what God really wants and what his heartbeat is about. And that is why I invite you, don't waste this space. Focus on things of the kingdom at this point. Don't just wait for an online service or an online Bible study just like this one. You can take this time to align with the heartbeat of God and the things of his kingdom. What are truly the important and the non-negotiables? And you'll be surprised. You can dispense with a lot of tradition and still have a great time and a more meaningful time serving King Jesus and his kingdom. 
So thank you for joining me in this teaching. I leave you with this exhortation. Don't just wash your hands. Watch your heart. The most important is the posture of our heart that we align with the heartbeat of Jesus and his kingdom. We will continue this teaching in the next installment. So I hope you will join me for the next session of Kingdom 101. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for scripture that reveals your heart and the things of the kingdom. Lord, thank you for tradition that has helped us. But Lord, give us revelation of what is truly important and non-negotiable. What the essentials of the kingdom truly are. That we can really dispense with things that hold us back and be released into a freedom to serve you and to serve others that we may bring you glory and reveal Jesus and the good news of the kingdom. And so I pray for my friends who are listening in or watching in. Will you bless them and will you open their eyes as they position their hearts to receive from you? Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining me. This is Hanson signing off and I'll see you again next time.